Thank you. Um, before the ushers come and before they take the offering, so just I'll call you in just a second, offer, uh, ushers. But I, I just need to share with you, God has been doing so many good things. We had over 1,100 or so come at Christmas Eve services and God blessed us and we were coming to the end of the year and many of you, if you look at our little weekly, sometimes go, wow, we're falling behind financially and, and we needed about $115,000 dollars at the calendar year end here, and we run on a fiscal year, so six months into our year. Our fiscal year is um, July to June. So we're six months in the year, and we're falling behind, and, and, and we just said, you know, God, we trust you. We, we believe you're generous, and, uh, and we believe our people are, you know, love you, and, and we just ask you to respond as God led you. And, and it was really neat because... Um, we received $185,000 to end the year and put us $70,000 ahead, which is really rare. So thank God. You know, hundreds of contributions range from $10 to $50,000, just all over the board. And I guess I have to tell you that God is um, amazing and good, and he loves you, and, he, and, and I want to testify uh, in that way before you. So thank you for your generosity and for your commitment to what God is doing here. I can actually go to the staff and say, the things we're planning, let's do it. Let's, let's reach into this community and serve them in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And as they do, I say thank you, God, for the gifts you've given us. Thank you for each person here. Amen. so grateful for our worship team they're just um i'm so blessed we're blessed to have them and they're serving uh you know i i want to also make a, a comment is i love that picture and that's just like you go oh i want to be that i want to thrive uh and i and i say that because i'm so grateful also to uh, media minefield and specifically uh lindsey deline larson um puts a lot of these kind of pictures together for us for a new series and, and it's just a wonderful graphic and I hope that kind of resonates with you and kind of sticks with you because we're about thriving. That's what we're kind of talking about through this series. You know, have you ever noticed how long people take when you are waiting for them to leave their parking space? <laughs> you think about it, right? So this Christmas, I had to pick up some last-minute things for my extended family. They're coming into town. My, great, my wife is so gracious. We host them all in our home. It's just packed, and there's not a space there to find. But I pulled into Costco because we needed the large-sized stuff. And, and I noticed, you know, if you go into Costco anytime, it's not always that fun. But you go around Christmas time, and getting a parking spot is like, 
It's like World War III. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm pulling in, and I see this guy going to his car. It's up near the front. I think this is great. He's getting ready to get in his car. He gets in his car. And, and I pull up, and I do like any reasonable person would do, is I turn my blinkers on to let everybody know that's my space. <laughs> anybody ever done that? You know what I mean? I look behind me. No one's really behind me waiting. So I thought, okay, I can wait just a minute. And the guy gets in his car. And the first thing he does, he kind of looks at his rearview mirror and and Justin, I'm going, good, he's a safe driver. That's good to know. And then he starts the car. You can see the exhaust come out and I'm waiting. There's a car now that's pulled behind me. There's another one that's waiting over there. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. You know, the car started. And then I don't know what he does, but it looks like maybe he's working on his radio or something like that. And I take a few, you see like, you know, ages, but who knows, a few seconds. And and eventually, I see the white brake lights go on, which is always a really good sign. I see some of you shaking your head, so I, I, I'm not the only one who does this. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great. And then all of a sudden, nothing happens. And, and I look, and here I see the guy like this on his phone. And, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy's deliberately made, wait, making me wait for a spot. And, and, and I'm thinking, okay, I'll go help the guy out. I'll just check in with him, tell him, buddy, I realize what you're doing. And so I get out of the car, I walk up to the car, he rolls down the window. <laughs> and with cheer in his voice, he says, Pastor Meyer, why is that a free? <laughs> I said, I just want to come over and wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay. Everything happened but that exchange. Okay, because I honestly, what's so funny is, you know, I sometimes think, because I do jerky things, um, like we all kind of do, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking I'm going to probably do that sometime because I can be that impatient and, and thankfully I didn't. Um, but have you ever had that happen to you? Where you're just kind of waiting and, and waiting for that person to give you their space, you know, to open the place for you to be able to park in. Would you know there's an actual study that's been done on that? Um, yes, they do research studies on all kinds of things. It's, it's a study from applied social psychology on this very topic. And they, they did the study, and, and hundreds of drivers, they did, as they did the study, they found we actually take longer to leave a parking space if we know someone is waiting for it than we would if nobody is waiting for it. There's something perverse in all of us, Right? Because inside, we kind of go, that's my space. And I'll give it up when I'm good and ready to. And we will actually, we'll make ourselves wait. Isn't that funny? We'll make ourselves wait to actually pull out. And if you're in a desperate hurry, you know, picking up the kids or you're late for something and you do a little couple taps on the horn. Ever done that? Come on, fess up. They'll make you wait four times longer. In fact, in, in restaurants, uh, the longer the line, studies have shown, the longer people will linger at their table. It's a common instinct, a rather maybe perverse one, that is called territorialism. And this territorial instinct happens in so many other ways than just what I listed right there. So let me ask you this as you think about this. Do you think that happens in your relationship with God? Do you think God waits to get some space in your life? You know, he's just looking for a place where he can, can meet with you and speak to you and reveal himself to you. And, and he, he wants to come in and nourish you and, and, 
And yet, you kind of, as we all might do, as perverse as it may be, we kind of say, God, and we give him all kinds of excuses of why you need to stay in that space and you don't open up space. We're too busy, too much going on, so many things I have to accomplish. It's my space, it's my life. I don't have time to immerse my mind in the word of God. I, I, I don't have time in my week, it's so busy, to meet with a few people where I open my heart and my life and let people into my life to, to, to get connected to me. I don't have time to allow God to look deeply into my character by getting away and being silent and, and just spending some time allowing his word to penetrate into my heart. I don't have time. In fact, a lot of times I don't have time to even show up even once a week to say, I'll give you a couple hours just to pause in the busyness of a week and come and actually express worship to you and, and allow your word to speak into my life. You think God, um, I just wonder if God sometimes is just waiting there for space to open up. Now last week we talked about Jesus and his baptism and and you note that the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, after the baptism, these are the words. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And, and the word led is important because you get this picture of Jesus who obeyed the Spirit's leading and went into the wilderness. He could have said no, but he said yes to the Spirit and went into this place where he made space for God to meet him. And he went into this place in, in what we're going to be talking about in these couple of weeks is some spiritual practice, self-imposed disciplines that will help us give space for God to meet with us and in that meeting do some things that, that will help us to thrive and not just survive. You think that's possible? To thrive means making space for God. A place where I get out of the way and let God park himself for a few moments in my life. It's one of the secrets you find in Jesus and one of the reasons why he thrived because he not just didn't do this in those 40 days during that time of testing, but these practices he continued throughout his life where he was in places where he could hear the actual voice of God, where the impression of the spirit of God would be upon him to lead him to do things that when he obeyed, it opened up all kinds of things to happen and it did things in his own life. In fact, if you look at the spiritual masters, the men and women of the Old and New Testament throughout the Bible, even throughout history, you'll find that they were people who employed these practices on a regular basis because they understood that if they really wanted to thrive in this world, they wanted to be a people who were led by and, and enveloped by the Spirit of God. They knew that it was important that they opened up space so God could park in there and, and, and they could begin to hear his voice and be trained into the things that needed to be trained into them for their own character's sake. So that when the test came, they were able to pass it. Now, as we look at the temptation of Jesus in these coming weeks, and, and we're going to be looking at different spiritual practices, they're all about making space for God. And Jesus begins his ministry. If we look at Matthew, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, you could go to different Gospels, because it's temptation is in each of these. But specifically in Matthew chapter 4 is what we'll be looking at. And Jesus, if you read it, he begins... This whole temptation experience, he begins his whole ministry with three big no's. Isn't that interesting? Because learning what to say no to and what to say yes to 
is often the difference between thriving and surviving. Last week, we launched a series called Thrive, and if you weren't here, I I would love for you to take time to listen to that live stream or podcast or whatever, because I do believe that backdrop of Jesus being baptized in this incredible experience that he had when when the Holy Spirit, um, he, he, he obeys God, gets baptized, identifies with sinful man, begins into his ministry, and and for him to do this, it was one thing to become a baby, but now another one to say, um, with all the sinful mankind, I step into this water and recognize I need the washing and fullness of the Holy Spirit, just like everyone else. He goes into this, and he comes out of the water, and the heavens break open, and a spirit like a dove lands on his shoulder, and a voice from heaven, which some, I believe, just saw a dove, some who heard maybe what they thought was thunder, they hear the voice, some hear, Jesus hears, Mark tells us, you are my son, who I love. I look at you with delight. I'm crazy about you. That's my paraphrase. And, and he begins this whole time of testing with this deep sense of his identity. I'm, I'm my father's child. He's crazy about me. He's so in love with me. That backdrop, that foundation is so important. And what the practices will do will help you begin to hear the voice of God and hear that that sense of his deep love for you in the midst of tests and temptations. So when we read this passage of scripture, we see that Jesus, after his baptism, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted. But the word actually is the more tested, he's proved And every one of us are going to have these occasions of being tested. So let's read together. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. So you're just getting comfortable. I thought I would kind of just, uh, someone's got a phone, get an answer. That's God. (laughs) Let's read together. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pray. Father, we open space in our hearts and lives right now for you to speak to us. As we practice this discipline weekly of worship and standing in in the presence of your word, we expect good things. We expect you to love us more fully into who we are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What I want you to note, before we get into the actual message, is just a few things about this passage of Scripture. You read Jesus was led. I mentioned that before. But Mark actually says he was driven. There was this sense that that God um, needed to move him into these times of testing um, in order to prove his character so that he could handle kind of what was to come in all that he did for us. So these were not just temptations. They were actual tests that God himself was making happen in his life. And the tests were necessary for what Jesus would later do for us. 
He was actually moving from a sense of innocence and, and into the ministry. He was being, his character was developed so that, so that, um, he had now this virtue so that when a test came, he could stand the test and do the things God needed him to do. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But you might be facing a test right now. And I just want to kind of stop for a moment and tell you the test that you are in. Be really alert to this. Because God wants you in this process, to, he, he wants your character to be formed and be proved so that you can come out of that test because I believe he has things he wants to do for you that can only be done if your character is formed so that you can then receive what he wants for you to do later. Okay? Some of you are going to come into tests and these spiritual practices are going to be really important that we talk about because they are the very things that will help you pass the test. And if you if you actually um, go through the test and you fail it, I, I just want to give you, there's hope, there's great news. You go through the test, you fail it, guess what? You'll probably get the test again. And again. And again. Ad nauseum. So, Jesus was led. Second thing I, I just want to note is how this stresses, you know, I think it's so funny. I always laugh when I read 40 days, 40 nights, he went on this fast and he didn't eat food and he's hungry. And, and it just says, he was hungry. And I read that and I want to go, well, duh. But there's a real spiritual, theological purpose for why this is written. Because we have a tendency as people, so they did back then when the Gospels were being written, where, where, where people have this tendency to think that Jesus is so far removed from us, he's just, he's just like God, and God can do anything, so how in the world? And he is fully God, 100% fully God. But on the other token, here's what they want to stress, he is fully man, 100%. So that when he went through this, it wasn't like he wasn't having hunger pains, it wasn't like any, he was hungry. What you are going to experience in tests, he has experienced to a greater degree than you have. He went on a test that went on a cross. And guess what? Here's what makes his test so different than yours and mine. He fulfills every one of them. We often give up. And so he's been tested like you and me. And so we recognize that. Here's another thing I want you to note as we come out of this baptism. It moves from a high to a low. There's this temptation often that comes to our lives where God will allow even tests to come into our life when we move out of a spiritual high. You know, you come out of this place, you just had this success. Maybe you had a success at work, whatever it is. You've depended on God or you see God doing great things. And what happens often, we're most vulnerable then because we're moving in our own self-reliance. We're moving in our flesh. We're proud. And we move into this place. And that's when Satan, when you're in that high, Satan wants to come because he just wants to knock you low. So some of you are in that place right now, had a great Christmas, good bonus check, whatever's going on, and you're going, man, I just got the world. By. And, and be aware. Be really careful. So here's just, that's just, those are some goodies I threw in. Okay, here's the message. The test is about sustenance. What I find interesting is you note that Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness. He goes into this place where he is now being tempted and yet also being tested to be proven and, and, and you gotta ask yourself, what did it look like? I don't think there were visions that he saw. I don't think it was even Satan showing up face to face wearing horns and things like that. Cause when that kind of thing happens, you kind of go, well, I'm on guard now, right? If that happens to you, you kind of go, whoa, whoa. I think these were tests just like you and I receive all the time. And it starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. And here's Jesus. He's out in the wilderness. 
And you can just imagine, I, I run, so when I run, I get about a mile into it and my whole body is, is in my mind. I don't have, I don't have Satan going, stop! I, in my mind, I, I start going, gosh, I'm, I'm getting older, my knees aren't so good, maybe I should just, you know, walk. You know, have all those kind of things going on in your mind? You ever fasted? I was fasting last, last week and as I was fasting, I was a little bit into it. And there's always this point where you get to a point where once you get past that point, it seems like you kind of move into another gear. Well, you get to that point, and in that point, you get this attack in your mind that, that everything, things I don't even like to eat look good. And here is Jesus. He's in the wilderness. In his mind, he's, he's, he's east of the Jordan River, so he's in this track of land about 30, 40 miles by about 20 miles or so. It's all limestone kind of desert it's not desert sand the way we think, but it's kind of these rocks. These limestone rocks look like loaves of bread. He's in that point, probably at that crucial moment. Maybe it's 15, 20 days in. I don't know what it is. And he's looking at those rocks. And in his mind, he hears, if you're the son of God, just turn it to bread. Now, there's two things I want you to note about this temptation. The first is if. It could be that the translation is correct, but it's just this idea of if, kind of an attack on his identity. The attack is, you know what, yeah, you had that cool experience there, and supposedly the angels, but do you really believe God cares for you right now? It's, it's an attack on who he is and his identity, the same kind of attack that you and I get when he says, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, Jesus Day paid the price, but you really, do you really feel forgiven right now? Do you really believe as you've been searching for the job for however long it's been that God really cares about you, wants to provide? Now, some commentators will say this, and I think this might be really true. It may not be just so if, it's more the idea of since. Since you're the son of God. So the one temptation over here is, is not to believe that God really loves you and cares and provides for you, but the other side is since you're the son of God, you know, let's take it. You had this cool experience, and God told you how wonderful you are, and he loves you, and you're special, and he's delighted with you. He's not going to care if you turn that into, he may, even, even though he may not be guiding you to do it, you know, take care of yourself. You're special. What's one little step of doing things in your own way? How will one little bit of disobedience hurt anything? Ever had that? God's saying, I'm going to provide for you. And he's not asking to be lazy or not to do things. You know, you've done all you can do and you've done what you're supposed to do and yet you go, okay, i got to do more. i got to make it happen. C.S. Lewis says, The smallest good act today is the strategic point from which months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. You get that idea? The smallest good, your little step of obedience today is a strategic step that you may not even be aware of, but it is the step that opens the door months down the road, years down the road, that just allows for God to work in ways you could never dream. And so here's the test. Often one of the things is an underlying fear, and that underlying fear is lack. God's not going to nourish, he's not going to sustain me. And, and if you're really God's son, you're really God's child, the, 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 the test comes in the mind and says, does God, right now, does God really care about you? Think of your situation. I don't know what you're praying desperately for, what you seriously are thinking about. It could be a need of, of physical health or different things. Do you, do you think 
Do you hear that voice? Do you, do you really think God cares about you? Or maybe you're kind of, you know, since you're so special, you know, you're special, God will forgive you. It doesn't matter. You can just do this one little thing. What's interesting is the temptation comes to our insecurity often. This idea God doesn't love me or, or God doesn't care, so I need to use my power the way I want to. These tests parallel the very tests that were happening with Israel. So they went for 40 years, you know, 40 years in the wilderness. And, and here's this kind of parallel of Jesus. What I find is interesting is the whole purpose of Israel was to, to they were freed from their slavery. They went through a, a water baptism, right, where they were saved and God saved them. They went into the wilderness. The wilderness was all about tests so that they could, he could have taken the shortcut. He doesn't even have them take the long cut. They go through in order that he could build their character so they had enough character that they could win the battles to get into the promised land. Here's Jesus. Same kind of picture. He's presenting to us again the Savior. Here's Jesus. He goes through a water baptism. God shows how special he is, and he drives and leads him into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he goes through a time of testing and character proving so that he could lead people into the promised land where they could live in the presence of God today and forever. And here's the difference between the two. Israel, in the wilderness, faithfully disobeyed. Jesus, in the wilderness, Faithfully obeyed. You get this kind of picture. One commentator was talking about Israel and Israel being this picture of our brokenness and our inability to, to trust God. And, and, and he talks about in the, in their time in Egypt, they, they learned how to live with the sense of lack where they didn't trust God. He says they were, they, they went to Egypt to build storehouses of grain because of a potential lack. And it begins with Joseph, where God taught him and his brothers, and, and he has these dreams and everything. And then over time, over the years, they lost their way, and they no longer had this vision of a God who would provide. But now they're in this place where they're slaves trying to provide for themselves. And they walk into the wilderness, and they can't seem to get the lesson. They can't seem to pass the test. Here's the real temptation behind every one of these tests. It's a fear that God doesn't love me. It's a subtle voice in your mind saying over and over again, will God really provide what you need when you need it? Does God really care about you, especially when you look at how little you care about him and his purposes? Will God really care about you when you blow it again and again? Does God really love you? You're no Jesus, you're no Billy Graham, you're no Mother Teresa, you're not even a George Kenworthy or a Shelley McKendry on staff here. I wrote that, and, and, and they read these messages, they go, oh, you don't, don't tell me, you know, anyway, you can give them a hard time. Um, the real temptation strikes when you have a desire that God doesn't seem to meet, and it's that the place when you're most vulnerable. So here's how Jesus passed the test. You might be wondering, well, how did Jesus pass the test? He held on to what he knew was true. He held on to the truth that his father loved him. He cared deeply about him. So in the face of what I call this underlying fear of lack is this abiding truth that God loves me. This life is by faith. It's by trust. It's to trust God. And as you trust God, you then obediently follow his desires for you. And so you see this response of Jesus is really interesting. Matthew 4, 4. Here's the temptation. It comes, Jesus answers what he's right. He answers, 
It's right in the book, Satan. Did you, did you read the story of Israel? They were an unfaithful son. And they kept blowing it again and again. And in their brokenness, God kept coming back to him again and again and again. He so loves us. So one of the things that's really important that Jesus did, you see, when Jesus was out there in the temptation, it wasn't like he had the scroll and, it, oh, let me just, you know, here it is. Let me find it. It's, oh, here it is. Jesus had, part of letting God kind of park in his life was taking time to really get to know God's word, digesting it so much so that when those things came and the temptations came, the word of God came into his mind. I, I want you to pay attention that even if you don't know the word of God that much, he will still a lot of times give you what is true. And it's about his love for you. But one of the things that you really need to understand is as you grow in your faith and part of growing your character is beginning to learn about the word of God. And, and the whole reason for learning about the word of God is not to get a lot of knowledge. You can prove people how smart you are. It's about getting to know that you're deeply loved by God. And in that, he will teach you how to love others, which means we have obedience and all kinds of things that he gives us in his word. So the first thing you find in Jesus, because it's written, and he digested, and it became a part of him, so that when that, te- that test came, and when you have that test, it's incredible how God brings things to mind. But there's another thing. He, he didn't just have to look at the word and the truth of it, which is written. He also was able to look back at his experience, which happened just prior to that. This incredible experience where he, he, he sensed the presence of God and the, and the voice of God and the love of God. In a way that he could go back to it and go, not only in God's word, but I've had it in my experience. I have a, um, a habit that I do at our home and in, in, in the morning I get up and I, I spend time where I'm just alone and uh, I, I read God's word and I journal and, and I will, you know, I put, phones are great now because I can actually put things to pray for and they pop up like when I need to remember them kind of thing. It's really good as you get older and you don't have a good memory. So, I go down, and once in a while, and especially when I was younger in my faith, I was given this little mug that says, Jesus loves you, and I once says, Jesus loves me. And I would actually, with the word of God, take this mug filled with coffee, which I needed caffeine, and I would just look at that, and I would recall the way that God had faithfully loved me, and say, you know what, I just, as dark as this is, I need to trust that. I just encourage you, God has loved you. I don't know how you want to do it. But part of what you need to do is to stay in that abiding truth of God's love and you need to start working ways to get that into your life. So all that being said, here's what I want to kind of get to. There is what I call a thriving practice, a spiritual discipline that can help train you when the test comes. Now, I find it interesting because a lot of people, when, when they talk about this driving practice, they kind of write it off. It's called fasting. You go, yeah, that was an Old Testament thing. Jesus got away, you know, threw it away. He didn't. At one point, he says in his Sermon on the Mount, he goes, he goes, when you pray, just don't pray like this. And then just a little bit later, he goes, and, and when you fast, just don't fast like this. Some of you real scholars in the Bible go, yeah, but did Jesus say that, you know, fasting, when the bridegroom's here, you don't fast anymore. That means in the new age, we don't fast. No, he's not saying that. He's saying when he was present with them, they didn't need to do some of those kind of things necessarily. 
But this practice is a really good practice, and here's why I want to share with you why it's so important. There's a um, guy, his name is uh, Dallas Willard, who wrote a book called Spirit of Disciplines. Uh, John Ortberg wrote a book called The Life You've Always Wanted, along that line, a guy named Richard Foster. What I like about Dallas Willard, he's a little more philosophical, so if you want, the Foster and Ortberg books are better if you want to read about spiritual practices. But it was during the time when Kirby Puckett played for the Twins. Remember that? He was really good. I mean, Kirby Puckett won a number of games for us, not only through catching the ball, but by his hitting. And he made this illustration. He says, if you really want to get good at something, if you really want to know God's love, you really want to be in a position where you can say yes to God when the test comes, you need to think of it this way. These practices do this like this. He said, so I'll ask you the same way that he asked it. How many do you think, if you were to stand before a pitcher who pitches the ball 90 miles an hour, think you could hit that ball? Raise your hand. Yeah, no overconfident ones here. You wouldn't dare do it, right? He says, what happens is, what a person who can hit that ball like that, not only do they have some skill, but what they do is, even if they have the skill, they have to practice it. They spend hours swinging, watching balls come at 90 miles an hour, so that in many ways, you know, they get the neurons in their head firing so that they have this mental ability to physically do what they need to do so that when they're standing in the, at the plate, it's the ninth inning, the game's on the line, they have the ability to hit the ball in the midst of the test. I do believe a thriving practice, this one fasting, that if God leads you to maybe even try it and see, can help you in these ways. Here's Fasting is simply the practice that teaches you to trust in God's love. It actually will strengthen the muscle of faith so that you can learn to trust God's timing to meet a specific need when he needs to meet it. It helps you prioritize what's most important when your desires are shouting out saying, you need this. So the first thing is this. Fasting teaches you to say no to your desires so you can fulfill God's desires and thrive. So the first fasting will teach you to say no to your desires and, in a sense, yes to God's desires. It's often that your desires aren't even wrong. A lot of times our desires are good. It's just that we want to get them met in our way, in our timing. And so it's just... Saying, God, I'm going to fast from some food or maybe water, you just are going to drink water or whatever it is that you choose to. And, and when you have the hunger for it, I'm going to be able to say no to it. And it actually begins to empower your spirit to say no to those fears and desires. And it teaches you to counteract the lies of Satan. So, for instance, you're sitting and you're, you're fasting and you said, I'm going to just for... Uh, three meals, I'm going to not eat three meals, and, and you get through two and now you're really hungry, or you get through one, you're hungry, whatever it is, that kind of thing. What it does is what happens is all of a sudden you're, you ever been there, you can, you're, you're going, you have to eat. If you don't eat, you're going to die. Right. Right? There's a sense what, what shouts out to us sometimes in our desires is, you know what, you have to have that job. You just got to have to have that job. Or, or if you don't get into that school, your life will be ruined. Or if I just don't have that boyfriend or girlfriend that I need right now in my life, I'll be lonely forever. And if I just don't have this or that. And, and what fasting does is teaches you with another hunger, another desire to be able to say, you know what, I know God will provide. I know I can wait. It literally teaches you how much God loves you when you stay with him and are obedient to his desires over your own desires so that he can give you what you most desire. 
There's another thing fasting teaches. It teaches you to wait on God's provision, and in doing so, it builds your character. One of the ways God grows us up, and if you look at it in Jesus' life, one of the ways he was growing them up was through this test. You go, why did Jesus have to do this? Isn't he fully God? Yeah, he's fully man. So he needed that man to move from innocence into virtue. He needed the character to be tested. So Jesus is tested. He actually himself goes through this. Hebrews tells us, although Jesus was a son, listen to this, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect or mature, that's what the word means. Once he was mature, ready, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Fasting, if you choose to do it, are what I call many bouts of suffering and waiting to fulfill a most basic desire you have, and that's hunger. And that very practice teaches you how to, when those other desires that you may have begin to shout, go, I've learned it here. Fasting gives you the opportunity to grow in your character. Anybody um, recall the movie Evan Almighty? Good, it's not a great film. Um, it's kind of in the line of the Bruce Almighty. I think it was the one with Steve Carell, who was, you know, the Noah kind of figure, and 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 you got Morgan Freeman, who is the God figure. So at a certain point in the movie, um, Carell's complaining about waiting and waiting and patience, and he needs patience, and God give me patience. And then here's Morgan Freeman's response, which I think is so incredibly important. It is in line with fasting. He says, "Let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience, or does God give them the opportunity?" To be patient. If he prayed for courage, does God give them courage or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If someone prayed for the family to be closer, do you think God zaps them with warm and fuzzy feelings or does he give them opportunities around the Christmas meal to love? The Christmas meal wasn't in there, but just recall that, you know? He gives you opportunities to love them. That's, in a sense, what fasting does. It gives you an opportunity to put God into your space, into your place, to begin to build the character. Because if you don't have that character, you will not be able to hold what he wants to give you and what he wants to give through you to other people. So that if you ever thought of it this way, Jesus went through these practices in order for his life to be in such a place that the maturity that resulted from it gave him the courage and the patience and the, the willingness and all the things necessary to go to the cross for you. Are you willing to do that for someone else? And fasting, I'll just kind of close it on this. Teaches where your real life comes from, where your nourishment is. I think Jesus, when he answered um, Satan, said it's written, he says to him, he goes, you know what? Here, you know, Satan, he's this worldly wise guy. His, the only way he can think of, 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 of life is you need money and you need power and you need control. If I'm in control, anybody relate to that? If I'm in control, then that's okay. And so he's trying to get Jesus to move, you know, just, you know, use power, money, popularity, applause. You need all those things. And Jesus turns to him and goes, listen, I, you, you probably should know the book because you were around. But it's written that man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes from God. I'm beginning to understand and realize as I myself grow more and more, this whole sense of when we live this life, it's not about my trying to be in control, it's about God being in control of me. And so as you go through this, one of the things that I've learned and I've fasted personally is I've, I've found that, you know, when it says, uh, it, this whole idea of man doesn't live by bread alone, when I feel the pains of hunger, I turn them to a prayer and I say, God, 
I want you, I want your presence, I want you to make me the kind of person I need to be more than anything else in this world. More important than this physical food that I crave right now, I'm asking you to, to, to take my, my spirit and, and teach it to crave for what really gives it life. So, we've been talking about this little practice that I'm going to encourage some people to think about. We said last week, one of the models we're going to live by as a church this year is change me first. Right? That's going to be our prayer. Not, you know, not change my partner, my boss, the clown in the cubicle next to me, my mom or dad, my kids, I'm, even my circumstances. Although God may need to change some of those things, I'm going to start with me. So I want you to say it with me again because our prayer is going to be, God, change me first. You aren't real enthusiastic. Are you guys, I mean, maybe you don't. Let's say it together. Ready? God, change me first. Here's the practice. I want you to consider this. We're going to start. You can start this afternoon. You can start tomorrow. You can decide, I'm going to miss one meal. I'm going to miss three meals. I'm going to maybe just drink water. Some of you have medical things, reasons that you shouldn't do this, so I'm not encouraging you to do this. Maybe think of fasting from something else. Anyway, um, what I want to encourage you to do is say, these next three days, some point in it, I'm going to fast. And what we're doing is on Wednesday nights, we have a meal. We're going to come back, and during that meal time, we're going to let people just share what has God taught you. If you feel like you want to do that. So I'm going to encourage you to maybe just through this series of messages. This week, you might try fasting. Next week, we're talking about silence. Well, that'll be an interesting one. Um, Peter Kastner is going to come and share on that. So I'm going to I'm ask you to... Um, I'm going to ask, what I'll do is I'll ask the, uh, the worship team and the offering people to come because we take an offering at this time. Whenever, oh, I'm lost. Communion. <laughs> this is what we're doing. <laughs> I got so into that message. Okay. Um, so we're going to take communion together. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your head. And as we take communion, I'm going to ask you just to stop for a second and just say, God, where have you spoken to me? What is it that you might be asking me to consider? Or maybe you just need to to rest right now. All you need to do is just relax and let God hug you and love you. And as you take this meal, just remind yourself again how much he loves you. He would die, and he has died for you on the cross. That's how much Jesus loves you. Just take a moment. If you need to confess, you need to open your heart up and you need to ask for forgiveness or you need to deal with getting something right with someone else or or maybe you just need to just sit back and say, God, I just need to sink in and let the love that you have for me wash over me. We take these elements, God, which represent your love for us through Jesus Christ. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.